do be praying. Uh, it's been a joy to watch the Lord at work and the committee at work and uh, fun watching them get to know one another. And uh, having been through this, uh, uh, I gave them a gentle nudge early on that they weren't going to find out how much they might end up disagreeing with one another at moments until they had invested uh, some hours in individual candidates. And, uh, and uh, I just love the way they've responded to that. Really love you guys. And they're so appreciative of, uh, of the way they have worked. And I think God is at work. And as uh, they announced, we will be taking a, a segment in the middle of the service next week. Um, so it will be part of the flow of, of worship uh, in which we'll be lifting the committee up. I look forward to that. Before we dig into the message, uh, thank you who prayed for uh, Mary Nell. She's down here in the front row. This week, uh, after some weeks of having uh, obstacles in the way that we couldn't get moved out, uh, on Tuesday she had the uh, uh, atrial flutter ablation procedure, and uh, the doctor told her uh, Tuesday evening, uh, full activities tomorrow, like poof, you're fixed. Uh, and uh, so uh, she actually drove over with me on Wednesday and has been here with me this week, which I've missed her being here in, in recent weeks, so very thankful uh, for that. Um, wisdom, need to be brief because I want to dig into the Word, but uh, Marino went with me yesterday to, uh, I have two presbyteries to go to now, Central Florida and my own in uh, Southwest Florida, which was in Lakeland yesterday. And on this theme of wisdom, as we got there, the worship service was underway, and uh, Tim, one of the pastors in the Presbytery in Polk County, was preaching. Uh, it was his congregation's building we were meeting at, and uh, I remember almost 30 years ago when Tim was in my classes at RTS Orlando, uh, uh, just delighting in him as a student, and uh, just as, as I watched the wisdom in his message coming forth, and then in some of his comments... Uh, uh, on different issues in the presser, I just found myself rejoicing in the wonder of how God matures uh, His people and and how He grows us and uh, and uses us. So, just a word of uh, encouragement for all of us to uh, to keep growing uh, as we move into our text this morning. Think back to the last uh, couple of weeks. We looked at Christ uh, having become our wisdom, which in First Corinthians uh, one at the end. Uh, Paul explains that he is our wisdom in many ways, but he is our wisdom in the way he is our justification and our sanctification uh, and ultimately our redemption, Romans 8, when uh, Christ returns and we get the fullness of redemption in our new bodies. Uh, so this morning, we look at walking in Christ, uh, your wisdom. Would you stand uh, as I read our text from Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21? Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, open us, dig out our ears, give us hearts to hear and see in new ways your glory in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 1, and I remind you just before I read it that you can break the flow of Paul's letter to the Ephesians with the chapter headings, numbers that we've added, by the way. Paul didn't put them in there. Uh, but what we call chapter 1, 2, and 3 uh, is the broad grasp of who God is and how He has worked and kind of the grounding behind uh, God's work in the person and work of Christ. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 begin while going back to that reality over and over again, to apply it. And as an introduction to our text, I think it's helpful to look at chapter 4 uh, and verse 1, where Paul says, I therefore, based on everything in 1, 2, and 3, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So this theme of walking according to the reality, according to the truth, uh, is woven through the whole book. I don't want you to miss that uh, as we look at our text. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 4.17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. 5.2, and walk in love. 5.8, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then in our text, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. For a moment, back to Ephesians 2.10, uh, most of you, uh, or many of us, have uh, memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one uh, may boast. I have a friend who calls that cat theology. Cats go, meow, meow, me, me, me. And it's really interesting how we memorize the cat verses and leave off uh, the dog verses, which is verse 10. And, and why are they dog verses? Because the cat says, uh, you feed me, you shelter me, I must be God. And the dog says, you shelter me, uh, you feed me, you take care of me, you must be God. There is some reality in dog and cat behavior there, but I don't want to make too big a deal out of that. But I hope it drives home the point that you don't understand 2, 8, and 10 and the purpose, 2, 8, and 9 and their purpose if you don't understand 10. And, and Paul isn't all hung up on 
grace and works in quite the same way we are. He understands it's all of grace, but he understands the grace always leaves, leads to works. And they're the kind of works that can only flow from grace. But if you think you can talk about grace and not have a life that's focused on Christ grow from it, then you're missing the true grace of God, which is a grace that has content. So we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Note, you've been called by one who created you. And then if you're in Christ, by one who has recreated you. And the call is not anywhere near as important as the caller. The men's study on work spent a lot of time on this. The call is important, but it's important because of the caller. He defines what it is and who the called one is. And right out of that, uh, Paul tells us, uh, and he clothed you when he recreated you, clothed you with Christ and his wisdom. He created you for good works, but not to earn something, uh, to reflect something you've, been, uh, you've done, but what you've been given, new life by the Word and the Spirit. Uh, I, I thought this morning, uh, preparing and then also uh, as I began the service, I mean, what a wonderful thing it is that we can be here and center our singing and our praise, which is what this text is about, uh, around the Word of God. Uh, as I've been reading and thinking about the Word, not just this text, but the reality of the Word, uh, the thought hit me, uh, if I didn't believe that though we don't worship a book, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, the eternal Word of God, who was in the beginning and was God and was with God, but that He in a special way is in His Word which He has given, and that there is a power in this that is not just gathering data from a book like any other book. But when His Word is spoken and read and preached and proclaimed, something happens that can happen through no other word. And if I didn't believe that were true, I had to just go sit on a tree, under a tree and retire. Because I don't have anything to say worth saying without that power being at the heart of it. We have a caller, a calling, a word above all words, the empowered word of the one who is the eternal word. And that's why in our first heading, we are to walk in Christ, who is our wisdom, your wisdom, mine, in these evil days, in this age. Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk and not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time or redeeming the time some translations read, because of the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord, will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, or I like the word dissipation. When we're filled with too much wine, wine, Scripture talks about, is a good thing, but when we're filled with too much of it, it dissipates who we are and the beauty of who we are as men and women made in the image of God. It lessens us. It, it, it keeps us from being all that we can be. So the focus is not on the wine, it's on the dissipation. And the days between Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and the day when He returns and we have, if we are in Him, our resurrection, the Scripture says, are evil days. So don't be surprised. It's nothing new. Uh, it began a long time ago, and it was focused at the crucifixion of Christ, and it continues in the war against 
the outworking of the victory of Christ on the cross. We've already mentioned that we remember today those who died or whose lives were changed forever as planes flew into the Twin Towers in New York City and the Pentagon and a field in Pennsylvania and also the first responders killed or injured as they sought to help the victims. Mary Nell and I were remembering uh, Ron Erbel, uh, a dear brother deacon at the Key Biscayne Presbyterian Church who lived two houses down the street from us, died this year because he went up immediately to New York City uh, into the rubble uh, to try to find anybody alive and it affected his body and his health and finally uh, an early death because of it. As we think of those things, uh, we remember the apostles' words in Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. How are we to think and then and now and when future events face us? Uh, we walk and look carefully, we watch mindfully because we have the mind of Christ. And well, one of the things we need to do is weep with those who weep. But we avoid simplistic, we, they, good guys, bad guys categories. Wisdom never justifies evil acts or bad actors. But wisdom in Christ reminds us, as Scripture clearly teaches us, what Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, the Russian writer who was imprisoned by his own nation uh, after many years as a soldier, who wrote so well. Solzhenitsyn wrote, if, it, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? I'll tell you who. Followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who are co-crucified with Christ. That's the gospel. You say, I know my heart is evil, and I run to Christ who puts me to death with him and then lets me put him on and raises me up with a new life that I might daily mortify my flesh and live in a new way for a new purpose, knowing the tendency of my, of my heart to idolatry and evil. Solzhenitsyn also said, to destroy a people, you must first sever their roots. There are powers and efforts to separate people today from their roots all over the world, from the wisdom of the ages, and especially from the wisdom that comes in Christ. And we must never cooperate as His church in weakening the roots that planted us in living waters that are the waters of our life in Christ by the Spirit revealed, illumined by His Word by which we have the mind of Christ. Um, was reminded watching a little bit of the news of Queen Elizabeth II's death this week, that she was one of the first world leaders to respond uh, to the people of the U.S. after 9-11. And she sent uh, her ambassador to Washington, to New York City, uh, and he delivered a message uh, in 
a prayer service at St. Thomas Church, New York City on 21 September 2001. And it was amazing to see that same sentence printed in the program of a service for prayer and reflection on the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II at St. Paul's London Friday this week. It was on the back of the bulletin. Here, here's the one sentence from her remarks to the people of New York City. Grief is the price we pay for love. Grief is the price we pay for love. If you choose to love even the unlovely, you pay a price. Christ paid the ultimate price. But we pay a price because we must grieve for those who suffer and, and die. Instead of shutting off our hearts and not caring Instead of never wondering, what would I have been like if I grew up in their family and in their circumstances? And that because I had it better, maybe, then I'm good and they're bad? No, that's not the gospel, is it? Not if we listen to Jesus who wouldn't even let his own disciples in his parables separate the wheat and the chaff. Because only the Lord knows what's really going on. Grief is the price we pay for love. Rich words of the high price of grief, costly. Chrysostom, bishop of Constantinople in the fourth century AD, uh, writes on our text from Paul this, Paul's motive for giving this counsel is not to urge us to be more crafty or underhanded when he talks about uh, redeeming the time. Rather, Paul is saying the times do not belong to you. Now you are migrants and expatriates, strangers and foreigners. Do not seek honors. Do not seek glory, authority, or retribution. Bear all things. Only by patience will you redeem the time. Of course, new sermons like mine are always better than ones from the fourth century, aren't they? I hope you sense my sarcasm at myself. Good preachers who love the Lord and love the Word have been trying to tell us this for a long, long time. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Galatians 1.4, Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Ephesians 1.9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. Don't be foolish, Ephesians 5.17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Colossians 1.9 and 10, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We're back in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 where the wisdom of God, the spiritual mind, is not some vague thing out there. It's the reality of the gospel that was hidden for centuries, that has now been first century revealed in Christ. And as we look at the life of Christ and the Word of Christ, and we fill our minds and our hearts and our spirits with it, we know what God tells us to do and how to act towards our neighbors, don't we? It's not like He didn't tell us. 
If we're stupid, it's because we haven't been paying attention. I think I've shared uh, Billy Sunday, the baseball player evangelist's great statement, sinners can be forgiven, but stupid is forever. <laughs> and, and sadly, a lot of us as Christians are forgiven, but stupid. We've been given the Word of God on how to apply the gospel to our relationships. But we want the new book that just came out from the new pastor who's the big deal rather than the word that we need, which is always apt for the moment. Galatians 1.3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Point two, be filled with the Spirit or, and I prefer this translation, but I'll never win with the translators because we've been there uh, the way it is for too long. Uh, there are no capitals in the Greek text, and the only way you can tell whether the word spirit is about the Holy Spirit or the human spirit is the context. Uh, and in this, this verse in the Greek, and I'm not being down on our translations, they're wonderful. Uh, but the phrase in Greek is just in spirit. And so this Verse can be rendered to be filled in spirit or to be filled with or by the Holy Spirit. But the word holy is not there. It's an assumption and interpretation uh, to put holy in the text. But lest you get concerned, please listen to this if you listen to my last few sentences. If we are filled in spirit in the way that Paul talks about in this text, what are we filled with? Words that come from the Spirit of God by the Spirit of God, illumined from the Spirit of God, words that are the revealed words of the gospel and the application of that gospel, which is why it really doesn't matter which way you translate it as long as you read the context. But we put off our old self, Ephesians 4.22, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, 1 Corinthians 2 again, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And what was the helmet of salvation? It was the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit's work is not some vague work. It's a work of the Word of God that glorifies Christ and glorifies the Word of Christ. And if you want to know if something is of the Spirit, test it by the Word of Christ, the Word of God, illumined by the Spirit, and you'll know. Colossians 3.16, we'll look at it more in a moment. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness from your heart before God. I hope you hear the parallel. Ephesians 5, be filled in spirit, teaching, admonishing, singing, Colossians 3. Same thing, slightly different words telling us that being filled with the word of Christ and being filled in spirit or by the spirit with the spirit are both the same thing. And they've got to have all of the same content. I love this. Ambrose, fourth, I'm into the fourth century this morning, sorry. Uh, teacher of Augustine, whom we all have heard about in the fourth century. Uh, 
He said, one drunk with wine sways and stumbles. Mm -hmm. Seen a lot of movies and some real people like that. But one who is filled with the Spirit has solid footing in Christ. This is a fine drunkenness, which produces even greater sobriety of mind. I think Luther would have liked that quotation. And if you don't laugh at that, you haven't read enough Luther. Three, addressing, teaching, admonishing, submitting to one another, singing with thankfulness from the heart to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just commented on it, so I don't need to say much in this first moment. Uh, addressing one another. Notice that. We're, we're addressing one another. We may be singing songs in a worship service. We may be singing a song in a life group. Uh, but we need to be sure that even in our singing, we're addressing our own hearts, but uh, as the worship team leads us, they're addressing us with words and asking us to address, and this flows out of Old Testament worship made so much more, maybe even the antiphonal singing that was part of the priestly role in some of the Psalms, but the reality is it's, it's filled out in Christ, and it's why we speak the truth with one another in love. It, it's why to be the body of Christ to not let falsehood grow in the uh, life of the congregation. There's got to be a willingness to love one another enough. Uh, as I told the session when I came here, and I got it from Joe Nobinson, that I gave them permission to hunt on my personal land and space, even when I put up no trespassing signs. You know, even when I try to tell you, you can't ask me that, I said, you already have permission to ask. And then I told him I intend to do that with you, too. And you ought to be praying for that in your families, husbands and wives. We don't bury stuff under the carpet and then wonder why we trip on the floor over bumps that we don't even know are there, but we build them. That's why this is so critical. Colossians 3, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and thankfulness to God in your hearts. Uh, I printed a third uh, passage on your outline uh, just one verse, Joshua 1.8, that might at first seem strange, but uh, if you've got an outline, look with me at it. Uh, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law, the books of Moses, shall not depart from your mouth. Sometimes we read the verse and hear the word meditate, and we forget that it's not to depart from your mouth. We're into the speaking and admonishing of Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Uh, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Uh, the Hebrew word for meditate uh, is Hagah. That may not mean much to you, but for a few of you, have you ever heard of the Haggadah or the Haggadah? Passover? It's the telling of the Passover story, and the Haggadah in Hebrew simply means the telling. And, and that's what this text is saying. Tell one another. Surprise, surprise. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. They've got to be on your mouth, too. Diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You ever seen uh, the Orthodox Jews have little leather boxes on their 
arms and on their foreheads. That's putting the Word of God into their work and into their thinking symbolically. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit or filled in our spirit by the Spirit and the Word? I think Paul is teaching us that we can't separate Word and Spirit because the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit who illumines the Word of Christ to us. And this in no way diminishes uh, the might and power of the anointing work of the Spirit that a lot of times in church history we hear people talking about. But it must always be judged by the Word of God. Let me tell you a real quick story. Uh, I've done a fair amount of ministry in East Africa, and I had a group of mainly Pentecostal pastors and elders uh, that I was teaching several dozen of them uh, on the Kenyan-Ugandan border. And one of them asked the question, well, what about uh, prophecy? In the Kenyan Pentecostal churches, prophecy is a really big, big deal. And I can't take long with this, so I'm going to talk fast. You listen fast. I asked them uh, that if in the Old Testament, if a person could be a prophet and prophesy what wasn't true, and they knew their Bibles, they said, no, it says you got to kill them. So then I asked them the question, who in the New Testament only prophesied what is true? And they were stumped for a minute by that because they talked a lot about, their prof- about prophecy in their Kenyan churches. And all of a sudden, one guy in the back said, the apostles and those who wrote the scriptures with them, they're the only ones who were true prophets like the prophets in the Old Testament. And other guys started going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I read them 1 Corinthians 5, 16 and following, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. There you are again in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, but abstain from every form of evil. And all of a sudden they're going, wait a minute. So some of what we call prophecy is true and some isn't. So this is different than Old Testament prophecy, isn't it? I just kind of nodded for a minute and said, uh, well, who in the New Testament church gets to decide what's good and true and what gets rejected? And these Pentecostal pastors and elders are looking at one another, and finally, two or three of them at the same time said, the elders in the churches. And everybody went, yeah, the only way it works is the elders in the churches, based on what the Scriptures say, make judgment over the truth. And in our case, we bring in the Presbytery and the General Assembly if we need to. And I didn't bother telling my Pentecostal friends, but they had just become Presbyterians. <laughs> in the best sense of the word. I could tell them some bad senses of the word. We don't have time to go there. Behind all of this is the need for us not simply to meditate inwardly, but to speak, to tell one another this truth, addressing, teaching, admonishing, singing. It's why we need good songs. So thankful for our worship planners, Stephen and and others that pitch in. I mean, think of some songs today and then think of Luther. And though this world with devils filled, evil days, should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word will fell Him. Because we've been given the eternal word of God. Or a new spiritual song, you're rich in love and you're slow to anger. 
Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. So bless the Lord, O my soul. And brother, sister in Christ, bless the Lord from your heart, from your soul. Worship in His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. Bless you, Lord. And we need to tell one another the words of Scripture. Honor your father and mother. You shall not covet. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Deliver us from the evil one. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Does anyone dare say in light of this gospel that those are works? Those are life. Those are hearts that are willing to crucify the brokenness and sinfulness of their own heart to love Christ. And it's all from grace, not our own strength or earning of favor. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ, my wisdom in whom I walk and in whom you walk, in whom we walk together as one body in Christ, speaking and singing the truth to one another. Amen? Amen. So friends, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to